Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Psalm 8, 3 through 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Father God, as we gather this morning, let this truth ignite our worship. That you, the creator God who put the sun and moon and stars in place, regard us. God, that you care for us. And it is no passing care or regard, but an incomprehensible love leading you to send your son to purchase our redemption. That we might be free, that we might have confidence to enter your presence in worship that we might glorify you with our lives and experience the joy that is promised in you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to be here. Uh, so I didn't think I'd have to say COVID again. Uh, we actually have several people down with it. Uh, Matt Labasso, he's in a pretty, pretty, I say bad spot. He's young. He feels really bad. Uh, his wife says he doesn't handle sickness well. Don't repeat that, but he thinks he's really sick. Uh, Jenny, Calvin also has it, and Eli Wong's parents who are here uh, have it. So be praying for them. Uh, but it's good to be here this morning as we kick off our series on the vision and mission of Christ Church Kingwood. We do this almost every year, so it's not going to be a lot of new information Maybe, hopefully not, but that's okay. Just like we walked through Advent, it's this yearly reminder of what God has done and what God is doing as we await the return of Christ and the fulfillment of all that God has promised. We need to remember again and again why it is that we gather. We need to remember God's vision for his church and what he has called us to as his people. Because the reality is, we talk about it often, we are a forgetful people. We are a people who are easily distracted. Our flesh and the world can easily draw our attention away from the reality of who we are in Christ. From, from the power that has been promised in him and the call in our lives as the people of God. So we need the reminder we are constantly bombarded with counterfeit joys and promises of satisfaction outside of God. We're given endless avenues to try and find ourselves, to carve some identity for ourselves out of this confused world. But as believers, we of all people should be a confident people. Not prideful, not puffed up, but secure in our identity. Because our identity does not rest in what we do or what we have or how we look or who we associate with. We're not defined by rich or poor or black or white, artist or analytic, homeschool or public school. We are children of the living God. 
united by him and sent out together into this world to proclaim a hope and a joy that is both unwavering and eternal. And we do this both confidently and humbly. We do it very much imperfectly. We stumble and fumble and fail along the way, but we know that our identity, our acceptance, the love we have from God is not rooted in our actions towards God, but his actions and his love toward us. This is our hope and joy, and this is our message for the world. Because at the end of the day, what we are doing here is not about me, and it's not about you, It's not even about this church. While I pray that this church would continue to grow in size and health and maturity, we're not here to make our name great. We're not here so that one day everyone in Northeast Houston will know about Christ Church Kingwood. We are here to proclaim the name of Jesus. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We exist to make much of the name of Jesus. This church exists to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Which is why, rather than asking you to Twitter or Facegram or Insta post, whatever it is that you do... How wonderful hashtag worship was this morning at hashtag Christchurch Kingwood, right? You've seen that. We, we don't ask you to do that. But we implore you to be people of the word and people of prayer and people of hospitality. To both grow in the love of Jesus and to show the love of Jesus to others. We want our existence to make the name of Jesus famous not his existence to make our name famous. We exist to make much of Jesus. Now, with that said, we place tremendous emphasis and value on fellowship and evangelism and serving. We want to foster a culture of discipleship and prayer and missions, but these things are not the point. Those are not why we gather We gather because we have been united by the blood of Jesus Christ. We gather because we are a people who have been brought from death to life by Jesus, and he now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. The point is not what we do, but what Christ has done and what he is doing. We are a people seeking to live out the reality that Paul proclaimed in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what we're about. And it is in obedience to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God that everything else flows. We are about Jesus Christ. Now, that's kind of like the cliff notes of our vision. When I, when I say that we're about Jesus, what it means is that we're about what Jesus is about. Because, as we just read, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And Jesus is about God's glory. 
Jesus is about making disciples, which is why our vision here at Christ Church Kingwood is we exist to glorify God and make disciples through gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered growth. And we're going to work through each of these elements over the next few weeks, but today I want to focus on the glory of God as the driving force of everything that we do. And then just talk briefly about how worship is the fuel for the mission of making disciples. So, just to start out, the natural question that we have to address is, why is the glory of God the foundation of our vision as a church? I already said that Jesus is about God's glory, but in order to answer the question fully, we have to look past ourselves and and past this church We have to look high enough to see what God is doing because it doesn't really matter how great our vision is or how many people show up on Sunday or how successful we appear. If we're not rooted in what God is doing and what he has called us to as the church, we're we're wasting our time. So what is God doing? Not just here in this community or in our lives, but on the grand scale of creation. What is God about? What is his mission? What is he trying to accomplish? And if you just wanted to do a fun experiment, go ask a bunch of people in your daily life what God's mission in the world is, and I can assure you the answers will be all over the map. But What I can also tell you with a lot of certainty is that many of them will tell you that God's ultimate mission on the earth is about us. That everything exists so that God might save us, that he might rescue us. And it's not hard to get there. God created us. He loves us. He protects us and cares for us. I mean, just look at all the promises in the Bible, and it's easy to deduce that we must be the point. We are what God is after. We are what God is all about. And this line of thinking is not entirely wrong. God is for you. God loves you. God provides for you. God leaves the 99 to seek out the one lost sinner. But... There is a motivation behind all of this protecting and guiding and loving that goes well beyond you and I. If you turn with me to Psalm 31, it's this powerful and personal plea from David saying, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me, for you are my rock and my refuge. Now, if we were to stop here, we could make a pretty good case that God is all about David. He's about us. King David, this man after God's own heart, prays with confidence to God saying, you are my refuge. You are my righteous deliverer, rescuer, rock of refuge, strong fortress, save me. It's powerful. It's awesome. What a tremendous prayer to be able to trust God like this. 
And there are a thousand other verses where we can see God's loving kindness towards us. And if we're not careful, miss the overarching motivation of it all. But when we look at the end of verse 3, what does it say? See, David, he doesn't call upon his own worthiness for God to answer the prayer or even God's loving kindness as the reason to answer. But he says, and for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. God is leading and guiding. He is a refuge and fortress and rescuer for the sake of his name. See, God didn't, didn't look down and say, Patrick, you're amazing. Unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't say, you're nailing it. You fit the criteria I'm looking for on my holy team. That didn't happen. The immeasurable love God showed me by sending Jesus to die is not a testament to my greatness. It is a testament to his. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God redeemed us from sin so that we would experience his love and mercy and grace and proclaim his glory to the ends of the earth. It was for the sake of his name. God's overarching motivation for everything he does is the praise of his glory. The trajectory of redemptive history is the glory of God. As we read in Habakkuk 2.14, the end game, the culmination of everything God is doing, is that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Total saturation. And this is a paradigm-shifting truth that flies in the face of a culture that often represents God as this divine candy dispenser, right? We, we put in a few prayers and, and we expect a handful of blessings to come out. Most people wouldn't explicitly say that God is all about me, but if the only time God comes into focus in our lives is when things go bad, when we're struggling or hurting or, or when we want him to come through for us, that's exactly what we're saying. The idea that God is first and foremost about his glory is far different than the pop Christian message of our day. And the, the first inclination for many of us is to push back against this idea. That's what I did the first time I heard it. Then I actually opened the Bible. It's amazing. I actually read what God says about himself. That's why we're pushing the Bible reading plan, right? Not because we want to control your time or your lives or give you some other task, but we live in a biblically illiterate Christian culture. We do. People don't know what Scripture says. They listen to feel-good pastors and confuse the words of men with the Word of God. And they rarely, if ever, actually take the time to see what God says about himself in his word. So if you're doing this Bible reading plan with us, you know, we started in Genesis. And, and we have some psalm. And the Old Testament can be hard. But if you think it's hard now, just wait, right? It's going to get harder. But as we continue through the Old Testament, you know what we're going to read? 
like what we're going to hear throughout the Old Testament, that God created us for his glory, that God called Israel for his glory, that he defeated Pharaoh by the Red Sea for his glory, that God gave Israel the promised land for his glory, and on and on and on. And in the New Testament, it's no different. Jesus sought the glory of his Father in all he did. Jesus told us to do good work so that God would get the glory. Jesus said that he answers prayers so that God would be glorified. Jesus endured the final hours of suffering for the glory of God. God sent his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness. Which brings us back to Habakkuk. This is the trajectory of redemptive history that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So what I want you to see is that the reason the vision of this church begins with we exist to glorify God is not because we thought it was catchy or cool or it might be something that people would get on board with. Because it's not. Right? I've said it before. Discover the champion in you is going to attract far more people than God exists for his glory, not yours. Right? That's a better slogan. But here's the thing. If you really think that there is a champion hiding down in your innermost being, then you don't need Jesus. Okay? If you think that you can merit God's favor... By your own righteousness, if you think that you can save yourself, you don't need Jesus. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. You are not your champion. Jesus is our champion. This isn't a marketing fail. Our vision for this church is God's glory because God's vision for his church is his glory. God's love towards us is not God making much of us, but rather God setting us free to make much of him. Hear that. God's love towards us is not God making much of us, but him setting us free, purchasing us from death, adopting us as sons and daughters so that we might make much of him. And this is infinitely good news. Because our ultimate joy is inseparable from his glory. And I know some of you are like, wait, wait, isn't it arrogant or prideful of God to be all about his own glory? And if it were me or it were you, that is a a definite yes, right? If you're about your glory, that's bad. That is prideful. But if you think for a minute, what is the greatest gift that God could give us? What's the one thing in all the universe that is more glorious and perfect than anything else? It's not money, it's not power, it's not more sparkly things. It's not even heaven itself. It is God himself. He is the most glorious gift, and God's desire is that we would not settle for anything less than his perfect, glorious presence. Our ultimate joy is found in him. And he wants us to experience the joy of communion with him. So when God seeks his own glory, when he calls us to worship him in spirit and truth, he is seeking our greatest joy for us. 
through the blood of Jesus, God was making a way for us to enter into his presence. He is calling us to not settle for counterfeit joy in the things of this world, but to find everlasting joy in the intimate presence of our creator, God. Our joy and his glory go hand in hand. So when we pursue the glory of God, we are pursuing our ultimate satisfaction and joy. As I said, our vision here at Christ Church Kingwood is to bring glory to God because God's vision for us is his glory. This is the foundation of everything else we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. We exist, we have been redeemed, we have been set free to bring glory to God. And the way we do this as a church, the, the call on our lives as a church is to make disciples. This is how we fulfill God's vision for the church. We have been called to worship God, to proclaim his glory, and to draw others into the proclamation of his glory. This is what it means to make disciples, to draw people into worship into following Jesus in glorifying the Father. And Jesus makes this clear. Before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. This is why we gather every Sunday. This is why we meet in homes. This is why we support mission efforts locally and globally. We exist to bring glory to God and to make disciples. And over the next few weeks, we're going to walk through how we plan and hope to accomplish this vision of making disciples for the glory of God by unpacking these four ways that we want to accomplish this vision. They are gospel-centered Worship, gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered growth. And each of these things, as you can tell, begins with gospel-centered because what gives meaning and what breathes life into each of these words is gospel centrality. We're not just after community. You can get that at Starbucks or CrossFit. But we're after gospel-centered community. We're not just after service, but gospel-centered service. We're not just after worship, but gospel-centered worship. In everything we do, we want to rejoice in and be motivate, motivated by the perfect, sinless life, the wrath-absorbing death, and the triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want the gospel to be the lens through which we view every area of our lives and the lens through which we read every command in Scripture. So as we move forward as a church with the vision of bringing glory to God and making disciples, the gospel must saturate every aspect of the life of this community. It's not a call to perfection in all we do, but a call to humility and grace and utter dependence upon Christ. Knowing that his perfect sacrifice has set us free to make much of God. And so that's where we're headed. And, and this morning I just want to say a few words about gospel-centered worship. And then over the next three weeks, we're going to walk through these points and then, then pull it all together in the final week and talk about the gospel-centered church. But worship is our response to both who God is 
and what he has done through Jesus Christ. That is, because God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all life, he is worthy of our worship. But the reason we talk about gospel-centered worship is because it is through Christ that we are given the fullest picture of the greatness of our God. It is through Christ that the justice, mercy, love, power, and sovereignty of God are put on vivid display. And it is through Christ that we are freed from simply being distant observers of God's glory to active participants in his story of redemption. The gospel sets us free and it enables us to worship God in fullness and truth. Because God now dwells in us. And gospel-centered worship is the fuel of everything else we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. It informs and ignites the way we invest in community, the way we serve, and the way we engage this world with the truth of Jesus Christ. Gospel-centered worship moves us to action. It moves us to proclamation. And a lack of worship, or better put, misappropriated worship, brings spiritual stagnation and discontentment. It makes us ineffective and unfruitful in the gospel. It robs us of joy. If we're not drawn into worship by all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, if the internal effect of the gospel does not make Jesus the ultimate treasure in our hearts, then the outward effect of the gospel, that is the spiritual fruit of our lives and all of these other areas will be stifled. Because making disciples is first and foremost about making gospel-centered worshipers. But to do this, our worship must first be informed and evoked by the gospel. So what I hope you understand, hope you see this morning about worship is that we are all by nature worshipers. We are all worshipers. It's what we were created to do. We all worship. And the best gauge of what it is that we worship, what it is that we find most enjoyable and, and the most delight in is what we think about most, what we talk about most, what we tell people about most. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What occupies our thoughts and our words what consumes our minds when we lay down in bed at night or when our minds wander during the day? It's an indication of what we value, what we worship. And we all worship all the time. We were created for worship. So the danger of sin is not that we cease to worship. It's not. It's that we worship wrongly. We worship things that cannot sustain, things that cannot bring joy. And cannot uphold us when life gets difficult. Things that can be gone in an instant. Whether it be football or finances or that perfectly clean house. When we say this thing has importance in my life, we are entering into an act of worship. We are ascribing worth to something over and above other things. And these things are not all bad things. Most of them are not bad things. 
But when we place the value of created things over the creator himself, we have entered into what scripture calls idolatry. It is misappropriated worship. <clears throat> and so gospel-centered worship is ascribing ultimate value and finding ultimate joy in the person of Jesus Christ. It is finding such joy and satisfaction in him that we cannot remain silent, that we must complete our joy by proclaiming that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. See, God is passionate about your joy. I pray that you would see that this morning. He's so passionate about your joy that he sent his son to lay down his life so that we might be eternally united with him. Because when we experience abundant joy and satisfaction in the presence of God, when we worship God in spirit and in truth, we get the joy and he gets the glory. And that is my prayer for this community. That praise and honor and worship would resound from the walls of this church and from our lives. That we would not simply go through the Christian motions of good deeds and church attendance, but that we would treasure Christ above all else. That his heart would become our heart. That our lives would be a testament to the glory of our God as we experience the joy that he has promised to all who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So let me close with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, in a world full of so much chaos and confusion, God, I pray that this church would be a place of peace and security and confidence in you. God, not because of what we have built, but because of who it is that we trust and love and worship. God, make us a people who worship you in spirit and truth. A people who glorify you with our lives and find enjoyment in your presence. God, that this community might live as a city on a hill where people see the love and the joy and the peace that we have and they long to know the God that we serve. For your glory and our joy. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.